Hello everyone and welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. Here we'll discuss everything related to the wide world of automobiles, including culture, news, games, interviews, and events. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to the show today for this Sunday special. We're diving into a set of cars that never actually made it past, really past the design stage. And I've known about these cars for a while. I really wish they made it to production because they look so good. Unfortunately, you're not really going to be able to see outside of the thumbnail image for this episode. But we are talking about an article from Hot Rod from 2015. Paul Zarzarin, I think I got that right. I hope I did. The headline says, Inline, no, Inside Scoop, Why Chrysler Cancelled the 1975 Barracuda, The Fish That Got Away. Let's read. Like other muscle car, well, like other muscle and pony cars in the early 1970s, sales of the Chrysler E-Body, Plymouth Barracuda, and Dodge Challenger were mortally wounded by the coalition of forces arrayed against high-performance automobiles. By levying premium surcharges against these cars, the insurance industry had made it almost impossible for young drivers to afford them. Compounding the problem were voices in and out of the federal government critical of Detroit for selling young drivers what they considered to be lethal weapons. The final blow to muscle cars was the industry's shift in emphasis from performance to research, as Detroit struggled to meet an onslaught of upcoming government mandates for cleaner engine emissions. We got out of the only part of the market that grew. We abandoned that, and I always thought that was a mistake. Carl Cameron, designer of the Dodge Style... Well, designer at the Dodge Styling Studio. So again, this article is about sort of like the next generation e-body car. So the next generation Plymouth Barracuda and the Dodge Challenger. And once again, they never made it. They never made it past the design stage for the most part. Because spoilers, but the bean counters were like, nope, got to get rid of this. So I saw, again, I've, I've seen this article a long time ago and I read it. I think I read most of it. And this is one of those instances where I really wish someone who either makes resto mods like speed core or modifies well maybe not speed core because that's i mean that is well yes speed core but no because they i mean they do resto modding but it's mostly carbon fiber anyway the point is or the ring brothers i really wish one of those builders would go would go find an e-body challenger take the body off of it and then try to design one of one of these designs and put it on that platform because we never got to see it but we have photos we have photos of these what if designs? So what? Would, so I'd love to see these actually make it. Well, I'd like to see these designs rebuilt because who knows where these designs are laying around? They might be destroyed. But th these designs are just so futuristic. It's well, I say futuristic. They would have been kind of futuristic for the time, but they're just so different from the cars that that actually came out. So it's really quite sad to me that they never did. But I'm glad that the story, that at least this story, finally came out. Moving on though. These three factors had severely impacted the market, and by 1974, the Barracuda and the Challenger were doomed as pony car sales plummeted. And while proposals were made for a new generation of e-bodies, Chrysler management was not interested in perpetuating a product, a product line that didn't fit into its plans for a future that consisted of Valiants, Aspens, Valares, Omnis, and Horizons. There was no place for sporty, high-performance cars. Ironically, Chrysler management pulled the plug on the Barracuda and Challenger just as the pony car market was showing an upward trend that would reach its zenith at the end of the 70s. We got out of the only part of the market that grew, Carl Cameron reflected. Cameron had been a designer, a designer in the Dodge studio and was responsible for the 1970 Challenger. 
we abandoned that and I always felt that was a right and I always thought that was a mistake car guys who understood the market and the buyers no longer had the clout to push product through the system a significant part of the problem in the opinion of former Chrysler employees was management was management I think there's is there a period there there should be oh no 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 in the opinion of former Chrysler employees, was management was now comprised of financial executives who had little or no understanding of the market, of the marketplace or the product. And because the finance people now made significant decisions regarding product, the car guys who understood the market and the buyers no longer had the clout to push the product through or to push product through the system. Other critics pointed to 1968, when Chrysler had a record-breaking sales year but chose not to invest the money in product development. Our primary business was designing, building, and selling cars, one former employee said. The money wasn't put back into product. Instead, it was used to diversify into other areas, some of which were losers that, crossed, that cost Chrysler dearly. There was also internal controversy about product engineering decisions. Many inside Chrysler questioned management's choice to make the 1970 Challenger longer and wider than the Barracuda. Sharing body shells would have saved the, corp the corporation millions of dollars that could have gone into product development. In the spring of 1969, the Plymouth Advanced Design Studio was working on the next generation Barracuda. Chrysler had a four-year lead time from design to production, and no one expected the e-body to be cancelled. The post-mortems would come later, because in the spring of 1969, the Plymouth Advanced Design Studio was working on the next generation Barracuda. Chrysler had a four-year lead time from design to production, and no one expected the e-body to be cancelled, so it was business as usual in the styling studio. Two designs, one goal. Two advanced designs for the 1975 Barracuda were slowly evolving. Designer Matty Matsura, hopefully I got that right, created one version. Matsura's concepts were influenced by designer Don Hood's renderings. The other concept was the team of John Hurlitz and John Sampson. Both teams worked separately, however. No, 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 both teams worked separately. However, they studied each other's concepts and shared ideas. We struggled to define the fourth generation Barracuda, recalled designer Milt Antonic. Hopefully I got that right. We wanted the car to look more fluid and yet retain the Barracuda's muscular and aggressive look. The teams thought it was important to preserve the ramps found in the shape of the 1970-1974 E-body front fenders and rear quarters and to be sensitive to retaining some product image. Two advanced designs for the 1975 Barracuda were slowly evolving. Oh wait, that's just a quote from the prior sentence. Hurlitz and Sampson advanced a fluid look, while Matsura's clays carried a more muscular theme. We started somewhat conservatively with variations on the current Barracuda theme, Antonic said. We then deliberately pushed the design theme as far toward a fluid, muscular look as possible. The teams discovered that doing so only exaggerated the theme. After numerous cycles of sketches and clays, the teams narrowed it down from four designs to two. Both the Plymouth and Dodge Studios viewed the two proposals. I saw them, Cameron said, and they were beautiful. Matty Matsura did some beautiful body sides. They were neat and I liked them. So, for those of you who can't really who can't see these, I'll, I'll have the original article in the description of this podcast. But for those who are listening right now and can't see, it's it wouldn't be incorrect to think of these designs as sort of a AMC Javelin kind of design and somewhere between a mix of the 68 and the 70 I think the 71 the second gen Javelin these designs are kind of a mix of that car so that's kind of the best way that I can explain it because the actual design themes or the terms to describe these themes is so, is kind of eluding me but instead of really instead of it being kind of a squared off big coupe design as we saw from the 
normal e-bodies. These are more pony carish, more like a 70s version of a 65, 67 Barracuda. Or very AMC Javelin-esque. Because they really, really are. I mean, these to me, these look a little like, or a lot like AMCs. But they're not. One one of these designs is my absolute favorite, I really wish. It's, uh, let's see, it's the second, it's the first photo below the header, for those of you who are scrolling through the article. And it's, it's my favorite. That, to me, is the best design out of all of them. But, again, it's a shame that, unfortunately, upper management crushed the hopes and dreams that we'd see these designs out in the, out, out on the public roads. But, one of the, the one sentence that stuck out to me while I was reading it was how they're talking about, talking about the fact that they didn't really put the money into, into more product. Where was that sentence? I think, okay. They didn't invest that money in product development, but instead they invested that money into diversifying into other areas. And that sentence to me seems so accurate to what Chrysler is doing now, but on a brand level, because well, I say Chrysler, but what FCA is doing on a brand level right now, because if we remember, Alfa Romeo was supposed to be like this golden poster child that would revitalize FCA, and where has the rest of the product been? We just haven't seen it. Where's Where have the updates been? We've seen, now we have seen some updates for the Julia and the Stovio, thank God, but we really haven't seen that much product in the Tonal, that concept. Apparently it's still coming, but we really haven't seen it for a while. So now they're trying to make Maserati the new poster child, as evidenced by the MC20. And as I've said in the MC20 episode, it seems like FCA is just trying to, they're going from brand to brand, trying to uh, invigorate it or reinvigorate it at this rate and try and make it stick like Ram or Jeep. But they're not, they're not doing the hard work necessary to make those brands as, or make those other, make the other brands as successful as Ram or Jeep. They're just trying to, they're trying to catch lightning in a bottle and it's hurting them because Alfa Romeo could have worked if they did their homework and did, and did the proper business practices, but, and more importantly, gave it product and improved on the car. But instead of, instead of investing this money, especially from Jeep and Ramp into product development, especially for their other brands, they're just going from brand to brand, trying to find one that'll instantly gain the same kind of popularity and what, and will stick and will have that same popularity for a while. But the fact of the matter is, Ram didn't have that kind of popularity and Jeep didn't either. Through the years, they gained that product that popularity especially ram because ram is the youngest brand they are the youngest brand in the entire fca portfolio now obviously trucks is a big market and truck buyers tend to be really really loyal and for the most part they're still they're still dodge rams if you want to think of it like that so they did have a consumer base but still so but getting back to that sentence it seems like they're not investing they're not investing enough money in product development because they're just as he pointed out they're just diversifying from brand to brand trying to find one that'll stick rather than pulling a Kia or a Hyundai and putting in the effort to get to the point where those brands are the the normal passenger car version of Ram or Jeep. There was a there's a clinical psychologist that I listened to and one sentence that really applies here is when he says that working hard doesn't doesn't guarantee success. And truthfully it doesn't. But doing nothing absolutely guarantees failure. And that's a perfect way of looking at Chrysler right now. We're not seeing that much being done with Chrysler. And for the sake of this argument, let's say they're not doing much with Chrysler. Even if they work on Chrysler. Sure, it's not... Them working on it, giving it more product and trying to boost its image, doesn't guarantee that it'll that Chrysler will get to the point where they want it to be. It doesn't guarantee that. But them doing nothing 
absolutely guarantees that Chrysler is going to die. Look at Lancia. Doing nothing absolutely guarantees failure, absolutely guarantees that whatever market share that they have, whatever public recognition they had, will go with the wind. And that's what it seems like to me with modern FCAs. They're going from brand to brand, engaging in fleeting efforts to have a car brand that has the popularity of Ram or Jeep. And then when they don't do when they don't do the proper practices, update the product, improve the reliability, do all the things they need to to get whatever brand that is to the point of Ram or Jeep, they it would it would appear to me they neglect those brands and then go to someone else. Because remember, Maserati was getting neglected for a while for Alfa Romeo and then semi-Jeep. And now Maserati is getting the reinvigoration that some have been wanting because we're getting we're getting the MC20. Maserati's getting an electric push. We're getting another SUV called the Grisal. Now Maserati's getting the Alfa Romeo treatment. So who's going to be next? How many times is FCA going to go through these passenger car? I'd say that, I say that kind of specifically. How many times are they going to go through these passenger car brands? And, or these sedan brands? Basically, anything that's not off-road or trucks. How many times are they going to go through, let's say on-road. How many times are they going to go through these on-road brands? Before they're going to realize, no, we actually have to put work into this to get these brands, to make these brands as successful as we wanted. And so it seems like history is just repeating itself. They're not investing enough in the product development. They're just, where's that sentence at again? They're just trying to diversify in other areas, but not strengthen the areas they're already in. Or fix the, pro- fix the issues within areas they're already in. Moving on though, and getting back to the article. The final proposal for the 1975 Barracuda was actually a blend of both the Matsura and Hurlitt slash Samson design. Because we had two models, Antonic said, we retained a variation of the Barracuda's fender forms on one clay and tried to enhance it on the other. The vestiges of the 1970-1974 Cuda fender forms were still intact, while the fluid look was evident in the rolling quarter panels and hood. The end comes in Cincinnati. In the fall of 1969, the final 1975 designs were approved, and the clays had been trans- transferred to a fiberglass body, which was then trimmed out to look like a completed car. This prototype was taken to Cincinnati for viewing by a consumer survey group. The results were not good. That wild body went to Cincinnati of all places, and it was a disaster, Antonic said. I came back from Cincinnati, and I realized it was all over. Management didn't want muscle cars anymore. It was the saddest day of my career at Chrysler. As if an omen, the Cincinnati car fell off a forklift during transportation and was damaged. Oh, no! Oh, god dang it! It was obvious that management had stacked the deck against the Barracuda by using the conservative Cincinnati survey group. If the car had gone to Los Angeles, for example, it would have received a positive rating, which was not what Chrysler management wanted. Although the studio was instructed to prepare some nose jobs for the current car to extend its life beyond 1974, it was clear to many in the Plymouth Design Studio that the Barracuda was doomed. We wanted the car to look more fluid and yet retain the Barracuda's muscular and aggressive look. Milt Antonic Designer at Plymouth Advanced Design Studio. Canceling their pony car program would prove to be a colossal mistake on the part of Chrysler management. The pony car market enjoyed a tremendous resurgence from the mid-1970s to the early 1980s. That Dodge and Plymouth were not there to share in the bounty proves just how out of touch Chrysler management was. Unfortunately, observed Cameron, back then we always went after the basic transportation guys and left the specialty market in high-level, high-profit items to General Motors and Ford. 
Would the radically redesigned 1975 Barracuda and Challenger have shared in the revitalized pony car market? The clays indicate an aggressive, exciting car that would have dated the Firebird and Camaro and made them obsolete. I think our cars would have been competitive, Cameron said. We would have kept the market share that we had. A missed opportunity. But would the hypothetical success of Chrysler's pony cars have prevented the corporation's bankruptcy? While the question will never be answered, enough factors exist to make a valid argument that Chrysler certainly would have been financially healthier. GM's decision to retain its pony cars provided, or sorry, proved to be pro uh, profitable. At its lowest point in 1973, Pontiac's Firebird sold just 29,951 units. By 1979, sales had exploded to more than 211,000, accounting for two out of the early five Pontiacs sold. Sorry, accounting for two out of every five Pontiacs sold. What makes that all the more amazing is Pontiac's marketing group had recommended killing the Firebird when it, when it was on the ropes in 1972 in favor of a smaller, more conservative model. The decision to retain the Firebird played a major role in Pontiac's survival. The same could be said for Chevrolet and Ford. The Camaro tallied 89,988 units in 1973 and clung to 282,571 by 1979. Ford's 1973 Mustang in the last year of its styling cycle sold 134,867 units. Even the star-crossed 1974 Mustang II sold 385,993 copies in 1974, and the new 1979 Mustang registered 369,936. Just how much of this volume could have been captured by the Barracuda and Challenger will never be known, but it's a sure bet the sales numbers for both cars would have been more than enough to justify their existence. When the decade of the 70s was over, the pony car had, to, had survived, but two important nameplates, Barracuda and Challenger, were gone. If Chrysler had produced a new generation of e-bodies, the corporation's fate might have been kinder. The Barracuda and Challenger would not have saved Chrysler, but it's possible their sales could have softened the blows the corporation suffered in their darkest days of the late 1970s. Note to readers. Muscle car historian and automotive journalist Paul Zauzerin passed away, I really hope I got that last name right, passed away in early 2011, but not before bestowing on us a treasure trove of amazing information. Paul had not only a way with words, but he always seemed able to pull a rabbit out of the hat finding the rare photos and interviews that evaded lesser writers and put his stories at the forefront of the genre. Paul loved muscle cars and Mopars like few people, and he put an incredible amount of effort and research into his stories. For automotive history buffs, this piece was originally featured in the September 2011 issue of Popular Hot Rodding. For more on author Paul Zauzerin, click here. That is going to be it for this podcast episode, though. I hope you all enjoyed. Please go read the original article for yourselves, the photos, the photos alone are worth it. I hope you found this episode educational and the article educational. It's a darn shame we didn't get to see those cars on the real road because I'm telling you, those images, mm, they look so good. I love those designs. If you enjoyed, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Well, wait, that's YouTube. If you're watching this on Podbean first, please like it or listening. Please share the episode, like the episode, and follow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, then please like the episode, share the episode, and follow the pod. No, subscribe. Hitting the notification bell and then all notifications, that way you'll be notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road but don't have or want the Podbean mobile app, well then just boot up wherever you get your podcast, type in Cody's Car Conundrum, and then choose the episode you want to listen to. Before setting off, of course. I'll see you all next time. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars, if I'm being honest. 
If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.